We read of a place that's called heaven. It's made for the pure and the free. These truths in God's word he hath given. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and free. Fair haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. In heaven no drooping nor pining. No wishing for elsewhere to be. God's light is forever there shining. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and free. Fair haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. Pure waters of life there are flowing. And all who will drink may be free. Rare jewels of splendor are glowing. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and free. Fair haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. The angels so sweetly are singing. Up there by the beautiful sea. Sweet chords from their gold harps are ringing. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and free. Fair haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful heaven must be.
Somebody say praise the Lord. Aren't you glad heaven's a beautiful place and you get to go there, amen? If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, please. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23, that's going to be the main verse. We'll look over at a couple other places, so keep your Bibles open as always as we uh, continue our series on reactions. I um, mentioned last time that uh, a couple summers ago we were headed toward the mountains. We stopped off in Atlanta at uh, North Point Community Church where Andy Stanley is the pastor, and he was preaching a series on reactions, and man, that thing hit me hard that day, and I've been had that. I told you last week I had this idea at the back of my mind for a year and a half or so, I guess now, and um, sometimes they those sermon series percolate back there for a while before they get ready, and so uh, hopefully that the, hopefully it's ready. So talk about revealing reactions, how our reactions are supposed to, now not our actions, we know how to act, right? Our reactions, and especially to mistreatment, uh, to, um, to disappointment, to things that we didn't expect to happen, in a, and it happens in a negative way, how our reactions are supposed to reveal Christ, supposed to reveal the nature of God. Sometimes they reveal what's in our heart, which is not always Christ, right? And so we're talking about revealing reactions today. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, and um, we're going to look at the life of Jesus today, kind of focus in on him and his reactions. Last time we looked at his teaching about it, this time we're going to look at what he actually did. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 23, the Bible says, who, when he was reviled, that means spoken against, did not revile in return. When he suffered, of course, this is talking about on the cross now. We're not talking about suffering a little bit. We're talking about major suffering. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges rightly. Have you ever seen somebody overreact? Well, we all have, haven't we? And when that, somebody overreacts, we tend to stop and stare and wonder what in the world's going on here. Is there something else more that we didn't realize? I was uh, talking to Hannah Grace uh, the other day about overreacting and things like that. She told me a story, and by the way, for your uh, benefit, if you would like a more dramatic retelling of this story, you can ask Hannah Grace, <laughs> and uh, that's be a more dramatic retelling of this story. But she said uh, uh, last year they had J-Day at Troy, which is Journalism Day. It's a day where they host high school students. They come in, uh, anybody that's interested in journalism, communications, Hannah Grace is majoring in communications, and so they invite high school students from all over in, and they they come in and they have special programs for them, special teachers for them, things like that. And, and so at the beginning of the day, there, Hannah Grace was a student in charge of a group. And so two students in charge of groups. And the idea, what they tell them at the beginning of the day, all the groups need to stay together. Don't get separated from your group. We got things going on and you need to stay together. And so um, they had a guest speaker there that they had brought in. And about 30 minutes before the speaker uh, has finished, her professor comes to her and the girl that's in charge of their group and says, did y'all see that group of high schoolers leave? Shock, right? <laughs> and uh, they said, well, they were sitting on the front row. They said, well, no, we didn't see them leave. They said, well, they left. Y'all need to go get them. And so um, Anna Grace and her friend went out to try to find where the high schoolers went, and um, they found them at the fountain. If you've ever been to Troy on the quad, there's the fountain there. And they were with their teacher. Their teacher was out there with them, and uh, they were taking pictures. 
And so Hannah Grace and her friend went up to him and said, uh, excuse me, you know, we're your kind of host for the day. And uh, boy, it'd really be great if, you know, they're, they're a little bit intimidated because they're talking to the teacher, you know. It'd really be great if we could go back and, um, and listen to the rest of the lecture and uh, stay together as a group, kind of like we talked about at the beginning of the day. And the teacher said, you won't even let us take a picture? And uh, Hannah Grace and her friend said, well, sure, since you're here, you know, sure, go ahead and take a picture. But when the picture's over, we'd be great if we'd be great if we could go back to the group where we're supposed to be and listen to the rest of the lecture. And she said they took their sweet time about taking that picture. <laughs> it took them something like forever. And when they got done with the picture, they said, okay, why don't we go back to the group now? And the teacher said, we were going to go to the bookstore first. And Hannah Grace and her friend said, well, you know, actually, that's scheduled for 1.30 today. Y'all can go to the bookstore and buy T-shirts. We have a place in the schedule for that. But it uh, would really be great if we could go back to the lecture and uh, stay together as a group that, you know, kind of emphasized at the beginning of the day. And the teacher said, you know, you'd think you'd want us to spend money at your school. Spending money at your school helps the economy, and I don't think y'all want the economy to fail, do you? And plus, it helps Troy University where you go to school, so this is actually helping you have a better college experience if you'll let us just go spend some money at your school. <laughs> and Anna Grace said, she said, I passed on the, no, we don't want the economy to fail. We're <laughs> trying to, to promote that, actually. Uh, she said, you know, we're very grateful for our Troy experience. We're very grateful for y'all being here. We're very grateful that y'all, you know, any money that y'all spend here. But it'd actually be great if we go back to the, the group uh, that we're supposed to be with, which was emphasized at the beginning of the day. And she said, Dad, I couldn't believe. She said it was so obvious, the teacher's overreaction, that some of the students came and apologized to them for their teacher's overreaction. And everybody said, oh, wow. <laughs> You've seen it happen before, hadn't you? A lot of times at the checkout line at Walmart, somebody with their kids, sometimes it's at work. Heard about a dog groomer, they said, had a big temper, and he was at work, and somebody perturbed him and said this guy, the person that worked with him said, he flipped over the table, took the dog grooming shears, and shaved his own head. <laughs> well, that's a bit of an overreaction that he's got to live with, right? We live in a world where people tend to overreact, right? We tend to overreact. We t and, and the problem with it as Christians is when people overreact in anger, they, over, they go over the top in aggravation, irritation. Uh, kind of the problem is we tend to, in our world, celebrate that. Man, you showed them, you got them, you roasted them, you put them in their place. But as believers in Jesus, that's not how we're to react to mistreatment and unfairness. You see, Jesus taught us a different way. Jesus teaches us to live differently. And we talk about that a lot. We say we're to live different from the world. A lot of times we think about, you know, not cursing or going out and getting drunk. And, of course, that's part of it. But part of it is how we react when somebody perturbs you. Y'all know what that means, right? Somebody disturbs you, somebody upsets you, somebody gets on your nerves. What's your normal reaction as opposed to, here's the question we want to ask today, what would a Jesus reaction look like? Everybody say Jesus reaction. Jesus. Yeah, what would a Jesus reaction, what would a turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, what, are that, what would that kind of reaction look like? Last time we talked about those, we talked about turning the other cheek does not mean 
that you, that you can't defend yourself. That's not about fighting. That's not about somebody attacking you. It's an insult. Somebody's baiting you into an argument and you don't retaliate, going the extra mile, doing something for somebody that really doesn't deserve it. This isn't, you know, helping your friends pack up and move. This is to do with somebody that's abusing their authority and you go beyond what is required of you. And the idea is so that we show them what our Father is like. It's to reveal the nature of God, and we owe it. Watch this, guys. We owe it to the people around us to be the best version of ourselves. Everybody say best version. You owe it to your family because they're going to be the ones that disturb you sometimes, right? You owe it to their church family because they're going to be the ones that disturbs you sometimes. You owe it to your lost friends to have the best opportunity to understand Jesus and when we have unexpected, counterintuitive, remarkable reactions to betrayal, mistreatment, rejection, unmet expectations, criticism, it causes people to do what? Be surprised. People are not going to be surprised at your commitment to Christ just because you're nice and polite. They're not going to think how great your God is just because you go to church once in a while. John Gordon said, you can't control the actions of others. In other words, you can't control the fact that people will mistreat you sometimes. You can't control the fact that people will criticize you sometimes. You can't control the fact that people will misunderstand your motives sometimes, but you can control yours. And every day, you get to decide. Everybody say decide. You get to decide. I love what John Gordon says. To love deeper, serve greater, and care more. So our reactions of turning the other cheek, love your enemies, pray for those who curse you, do unto those uh, as you would have them do unto you. This is the core of Jesus' teaching, okay? This is, this is not extra credit, as I said last week. Turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, loving your enemies, pray for those who curse you. This is very fundamental to the Christian faith, and we're going to see that Jesus did it. He didn't just teach it, he did it. And when we do this, when we live like Jesus said, watch this, here's what I want you to really get today. It shows where our confidence is. It says something about our faith in God. So let's look at three things this morning, okay? Let's look at three things. First of all, our reactions demonstrate our confidence, our reactions demonstrate our confidence in particularly our confidence in God and our confidence that he controls the outcomes. Our confidence that he is in charge not only of the world, but in charge of our life. The people around us, when they see our reactions to mistreatment and criticism and upsets and betrayals, when they see our reaction, it tells them something about our confidence in God. It tells them something about our faith or our lack of faith in God because here's our tendency. Our tendency as sinful human beings is to act like God's not in control. It's to act like the world is spinning out of control. And more importantly, our tendency is to act like, especially when, we're, as I said, when we're upset, when we're thrown off a little bit, our tendency is to act like our world is spinning out of control. Like we're out of control, what's going to happen to us, how in the world are we going to manage this? Our reactions, our reactions reflect who we believe controls outcomes, all right? So what do our reactions 
when we're mistreated or disappointed, say about our confidence in God as a parent, as an employee, as a student, as a Christian? How, listen, ask this question to yourself. How would I react? Okay? How would I react to disappointment and heartbreak and rejection and mistreatment if I was absolutely confident that God was in control? And y'all, I'll be honest with you, this is really, this is kind of the thing that Andy Stanley got at. This is kind of the sermon that I heard that day. This is the thing that, that really kind of got at me. How would I react if I really believed God was in control? When things don't go my way, when I'm mistreated, when I'm rejected, when I'm criticized, when I'm unfairly judged, all that kind of stuff, what do my reactions say? How would I react if I really believed? God was in control, and God was in control of outcomes, and Jesus did it. Jesus did it in the biggest part of his life, and the most important betrayal, and the worst criticism, and the worst mistreatment a person could ever face. Look at 1 Peter 2.23 again. Who, when he was reviled, I mean, think about this. Talking about when he's on the cross and people are making fun of him. That's a beyond mistreatment. That's beyond being cruel, okay? A man's being crucified, and he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, that's, you ought to let him alone. You think you just let him alone at that point, right? Well, so when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He could have. He had legions of angels ready to come at his beckon. He could have threatened. He could have said, y'all are going to regret this one day, <laughs> Right? He could have said that, but what? He committed himself to him who judges righteously. The New Living Translation says, I love the way it says it. He left his case in the hands of God. He left his case in the hands of God. What would that look like for us? To say, Lord, this isn't fair. I'm being mistreated. I'm disappointed. I thought things would go a different way. But I try, I'm going to leave my case. I try, I'm going to, and by the way, the way you do this is by obedience. I'm going to obey you and trust you for the outcome of this. If we really got, if we really saw that, I have told this story, but it's been a while. Uh, Andy Stanley talks about when his dad was being elected uh, president of the Southern Baptist Convention. It was, it was a time of great controversy in the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, these days, you maybe have five, ten, twelve thousand people go to a Southern Baptist convention. The year Dr. Stanley was elected or, or nominated for president of the Southern Baptist convention, there was thirty-five thousand people there, as opposed to ten or twelve there these days. It's huge. One of the biggest conventions in history. I was there. I mean, it was huge. It was controversial. Uh, there was. Trends of liberalism within the convention. There was a lot of people uh, really, really at odds with each other. And Dr. Stanley was being nominated as president of the convention. They were doing a press conference, and there was a lady and a reporter in the room with the press conference. And Andy, Charles' son, Dr. Charles Stanley's son, he was in the room, really supposed to be, and he got in the room, and there was a reporter there that did not like his dad. And he said, man, she was raking him over the coals. And she was accusing him of things, of motives, power hungry, all this kind of stuff. And Andy said, I'm in the room, and, and I'm just getting angrier and angrier as it goes. Because I know, that's my dad, and I know it's not true. I know what they're saying is not true. 
And he said his dad, he said, but he can see his dad. And it's a press conference. They reporters, TVs, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of a big deal. And so all that's going on. He said, he looks at his dad, and his dad is sitting there almost like he's unaware of what's going on around him. Almost like he's just kind of oblivious. And finally, one of the reporters asked him, they said, Dr. Stanley, do you think you'll win tomorrow? This is on the eve of the election. Do you think you'll win tomorrow? And Andy said, and his dad said this, if I win, I win. And if I lose, I win. My responsibility is to obey God and leave the outcome to him. And Andy said it was a defining moment in his life. He's like, my dad really believes that. <laughs> he said, I, I've heard my dad preach that, and I thought he believed it. I was pretty sure he believed it. But at that moment, I knew my dad really believed that. Second thing, first of all, our reactions uh, show where our confidence is. Secondly, our reactions should be Christ-like. It should reflect a growing Christ-likeness in us. You see, in response to criticism, what if we press pause for 30 seconds and say, what would it look like, sound like, if God was really in control of the outcome here. So here's your weekly growth suggestion. Here's your weekly growth suggestion. It's what we just had there. When you're hit with an adverse situation this week, and guess what? All of us will, right? <laughs> I know somebody like, well, I'm just praying that I don't have one. Well, bless your heart. You pray on. But when you do, <laughs> when you do have that adverse situation, what if you could stop for 30 seconds and say, what would it look like, sound like, responding to this situation like God was in control of the outcome. Now, it sounds and feels weak. It sounds and feels a little passive. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemy. Don't get back at them to forgive. And here's the thing. It sounds weak and passive to us, and it sounded that way to them too. In fact, there's no evidence in the Bible that anybody took Jesus seriously about this kind of stuff till after the resurrection. Show you what I mean. Look in Luke chapter 9. We look at Luke chapter 9, verse 51. This is one of those places where when Luke was writing, if James and John were, could have happened to have been around, they might have said, hey, Luke, let's leave that story out. <laughs> Why don't we skip that? Don't, don't put that story in. That story really makes us look bad, which is one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is because it doesn't, it's not a, it's not, it doesn't sound, but the, the, the detractors say these guys put these stories together, you know, to, to booster their idea of Jesus. Why would you ever write yourself into a story like that? Why would you write these many failures in? Look at verse 51. That came to pass when the time had come for Jesus to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and went and, and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But when they did not receive him, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing. They're going to Jerusalem. They're coming from Galilee. They go through Samaria. The Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They're, and the Samaritans figure out they're going to Jerusalem to worship. Okay, going for one of the feasts, going for Passover. The Samaritans didn't think you should worship at Jerusalem. They thought you should worship at Mount Gerizim. That's the, what their religion said. And so this is offensive to them that they're going to worship in Jerusalem. Now, in that day, 
hospitality was an assumed thing. There weren't a lot of hotels or things like that. Somebody came through town, very expected. I mean, it was a cultural taboo to not give hospitality. I mean, just, this is just something you did. It's very, very expected. And so uh, these guys were upset about this, and so they responded with inhospitality. They did not provide a place. They did not, no, can't stay here, not going to give you any food. And this made the disciples mad, right? And what it is, though, what it is, it's a great chance to do what? Turn the other cheek. Pray for your enemies. Go the, this is a great opportunity for this. Watch how good they do. Verse 54, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them like Elijah did? <laughs> not exactly the uh, turn the other cheek kind of thing, is it? <laughs> not exactly the go the extra mile kind of thing. It's the kind of, I'll teach you to offend our rabbi. We'll show you. We'll teach them to mess with us. It's what it is. And you have to wonder if Jesus is thinking, have y'all ever listened to me? <laughs> have ever in your life, <laughs> have y'all paid attention to my teaching. Ever in your life have you ever thought about what I'm saying and actually thought about doing it? I'm going to Jerusalem to die. You know, we're going to Jerusalem to get my life, and now you want to call down fire from heaven. Look at verse 56. Jesus, in verse 55, Jesus rebuked them. That word rebuke is a strong word. No. Not, no. And I don't know why James and John thought they could do this. Whatever gave them the idea, they actually could call fire down from heaven. I guess they thought Jesus was going to help them. Verse 56, well, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, and they went to another village. Now, think about what happened. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? Go to another village. They go to Jerusalem, and what happens? They watch him die. They watch him live out his message. They watch him not retaliate. They watch him have the very opposite they beat him they mistreat him they paid off witnesses to testify against him and he doesn't retaliate back in fact in John chapter 19 verse 9 it says they went into the praetorium and said to Jesus where are you from and Jesus gave him no answer and Pilate said to him are you not speaking to me here's the big deal do you not know I have power to crucify you and power to release you He's saying, you need to answer me. You need to speak up. I control your life. I control. These people want to crucify you. And Pilate does. And he was a mean guy. History tells me he was an evil person. There's no reason for Pilate to not want to do this. Other than it's clear that Jesus has not done anything wrong. And that's why this is the worst mistreatment a human being has ever received. Because no other human being can say, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything. I acted in pure love every day. I spoke in pure love every day. I did what the Father wanted me to do every day. Nobody else can say that but Jesus, and he's crucified for it. So nobody, we can never say, I've been mistreated anywhere close to what Jesus was mistreated. And look at what he says in verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. It's almost like Pilate's trying to let him go. 
It's almost like he's doing everything he can, and he sends him out to be flogged, and he brings him back out and says, look, I've had him flogged, and then what do they say? Crucify him. Crucify him. And Jesus, when they crucify him, watch this. He forgives his crucifiers on the spot. He didn't wait a year to forgive him. On the spot. The first thing Jesus said from the cross, almost with the sound of the hammer hitting the nails, echoing through the hillsides, was, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How can he do that? How can he do that? 1 Peter 2, 23 is how. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he committed himself to him who judges righteously. He left himself in God's hands. This was Jesus' perspective, and nobody got it until after the resurrection. But after the resurrection, they got it because this is Peter. This is Peter who, when Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer and die, and Peter took him aside and said, you're not going to do that. That's a bad idea. We're not, that's, that's the wrong plan. We're not going to do that. Why? That makes no sense. You can't be a king that way. Real life doesn't work this way. Jesus said, real life actually works exactly this way. And we, you and I have a decision to make. Are we going to be confident that Christ knows what he's talking about, and that he lived the best way, and we're going to obey him, or are we going to try to control the outcomes ourselves and protect our... And I'm not talking about, you know, being a worm and giving up all your rights and let people walk over. I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about taking seriously the teaching of Jesus. Because here's the thing, when I believe that if I obey God, he controls the outcomes, I take away the power other people have over me. I think this other person has power over me. They can dictate how my future is. They can dictate what my life's going to be like. When I obey God and I say, God, I'm obeying you, no matter what happens, I win because you control outcomes, even if they're not what I expected, even if they're not even what I like. I believe you control outcomes, and it takes away the power, which leads me to my last point is our reactions demonstrate who we believe really has control. He said, I don't know about you. I may be the only one in here that does this. I don't think I am. <laughs> I may be the only one in here that does this, but I typically worry or get fearful when I'm worried or fearful an outcome's not going to be what I want it to be. I, I, I don't want my child in the hospital, you know. I, I don't want my wife to be criticized. I don't want people to criticize me. I, when I get to the point where I'm afraid of the outcome, I start worrying and I get fearful. Why? Because I'm, I, I, I want the outcome to be this way. And that will always lead to worry and fear. The more I concentrate on God, I'm going to obey you and you have authority over the outcomes and that's what I'm going to do. Let me ask you something. Can you do this as a parent? Can you do this online? Can you do this at the place where you work? Because so many people seem to, especially online, they really seem to enjoy saying things to people they've never met that they would never say if they met them. Never say face to face. Look, Jesus knows about all that stuff, right? Jesus is in control of all of that stuff. And so this morning as we come to the Lord's Supper, here's what I want you to think about. Jesus was the one who lived this out the best. 
right? He, in, he left his case in the hands of God. More mistreated, more abused, more betrayed than anybody that the world's ever seen. But watch what happens. He suffers on a cross. Father, forgive them for they know what they do. Doesn't retaliate back, doesn't, you know, we talked about this in Sunday school. When they were, they were reviling, they were threatening him. All this kind of, I would love to see Jesus just retaliate just on one of them. Just burn one of them up, you know. Boom, just, just knock him down real good, you know. Hit him with, you know, a couple, couple hundred volts of electricity. Make him, you know, tase him. That's what I want. Tase him one time <laughs> with a supernatural heavenly taser. And then let him get it. I just want to show you I could if I wanted to. But he does it. And what happens? Three days later, he rises from the dead. Can you beat that outcome? Can you? I mean, we really can't be. And what happens because he was raised from the dead, that God takes what he did on the cross and says, if you'll trust me, if you'll believe that was good enough for your sins, and you believe that Jesus really was raised from the dead, I'll forgive you all of your sins. I'll give you a new life, a new heart, and a new start, and I'll be the best friend you'll ever have because Jesus trusted me for the outcome.